Amen. Well, it's, man, that heat's kind of let up a little bit, just a little bit, and uh, we are spoiled, aren't we, to be by the coast, but it's so good to be together. We have some friends here uh, who I love to embarrass, right? Uh, we have uh, Olivia Lee over there and Cameron, uh, good friends. Uh, Olivia's an old family, old church family friend, and Cameron's my new friend. Um, Cameron is a daughter of missionaries, and if you want to ask her what's the weirdest thing she ever ate, she will give you a whole bunch of stories, okay? Mission MKs can always give you those kind of stories, right? I also have a, a special friend. Uh, his name is Dave Meyer. Uh, if you haven't met him, he's sitting here in the front. Dave is a great friend of mine. He works for Coastal, has been for many years. Many of you have your kids in their school. Um, Coastal, classical, the whole big thing. And uh, Dave is also, uh, he is uh, my mentor of sorts. Uh, he helps me to teach wrestling. So he's had a lot of experience, wrestled for Wheaton College, and he has taught me a lot about wrestling and how to uh, motivate young students uh, there. And he's a good brother in the Lord. So we always pray together when the having a tough time on the mat. It's tougher on the coaches than it is for the kids. No, I'm just kidding. But we're so glad he is here. He is married to Carissa, who has left him in Tennessee. Not left him, left him, but is uh, visiting the grandkids. So Coach Dave is with us, and we're glad to have him. So if you don't know him, come and meet him. He is from Illinois. I know some of you guys are from Illinois. Lydia, are you from Illinois? I always get mixed up. Who is Oh, you are. All right. Roy's from Illinois. All right. Right. So glad to have everyone from Illinois here, partly. So why don't we turn to Revelation chapter 19, the Lamb's Wedding Feast. We are turning to, uh, this is our Communion Sunday, the Lord's Supper, also known as the Lord's Supper. And we want to take this time to look at the scriptures about what Christ has done. This is the, the, the text of the Lamb's Wedding Feast. And we want to take this time to slow down, to pause, and to remember. So would you join with me in prayer as we ask for his blessing. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you that Calvary covers it all. Just singing those old tunes, focused on the cross, thinking about his substitutionary atonement for us. Lord, we pray that we would remember. And this morning, not just to remember what you have done for us, but remember what you will do. The Lamb's wedding feast. And so we pray, Father, that it would be more than just simply uh, a teaching, didactic lesson. But, Father, that we would get a glimpse of Christ, that your spirit would take the things of Christ and pierce our hearts and encourage us. Lord, would you encourage the hurting Christian? Would you rebuke and admonish the sinning Christian? Would you call those who are not Christians to you? And we pray, do your work by your mighty hand, by your spirit, by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. In communion, we like to take the time to slow down and to pause and to remember. This is what Christ has called us to do. Jesus said, when we take his supper, 
the Lord's Supper, it is he who has invited you. It's his supper. We know, as Jeremy will explain later on, that the Lord's Supper is to remind us of what Christ has done. And Jesus said that metaphorically that the bread symbolizes his body and the wine symbolizes the blood that was spilt. And very often in the hustle and bustle of our everyday life, we forget. So the Lord calls you to remember. You may not forget the facts of it or forget that he asked us to do it, but it's not in the forefront of our minds. Not only are we to dwell upon what he has done, but on also what he will do. The Lord's Supper, a.k.a. also known as the communion, is not only a picture of our continuing and present fellowship with Jesus, but it is also a picture of our future and perfect fellowship with Jesus in heaven with him forever. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. In other words, as you take the bread and drink this cup, you are surrounded on both directions in time of both what he has done to bring you to himself and what he will do to draw you in an even more intimate way forever. This is the joy and security of the believer. Those who trust in Christ. So while this world and maybe your own sin leaves a bitter taste in your soul, And remember that as you eat this bread and take this cup, let us not just be reminded of your forgiveness in Christ and your present communion with him, but let it remind you of your future with Christ and your eternal communion with him. For Christ's salvation is not just a cross, not just a strength for this life, but his very presence away from sin in the next. Let's read the text. We're going to read um, Revelation 19. I'm going to read verses 7 to 10, but I'm really just going to focus on verse 9. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. Skip down to verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Look at verse 9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. God's word is given to you this morning to remind you of Christ's unwavering love in heaven as you take the Lord's Supper. And I'll say that again. God's word is given to you this morning to remind you, you need to be reminded, saint, of, God's, of Christ's unwavering love in heaven 
as you take the Lord's Supper. You see, there are so many parallels between the Lord's Supper and the great wedding feast that we will partake of. While all the other apostles suffered horrendous deaths as martyrs, John the Apostle is the last surviving one. Most likely he's in his 80s or his, even in his 90s. The older apostle also shared persecution and that he was exiled to the island of Patmos for his testimony and his faithfulness to Christ. John, as an apostle, receives the last vision of revelation of heaven and the future of the church. He writes his vision as he is given a tour of heaven by an angel as the final book of the Bible to the seven churches as an encouragement to remain faithful and steadfast to Christ by way of application to us to remain steadfast and faithful to Christ. Now to continue to be reminded of Christ's unwavering love in heaven, there are three heart commitments you need to keep, three heart commitments that we see from this text. And the very first one Seems a bit obvious, but as we look at it and we look at the context, we start to see, oh, this should really shape the way I think, the way I live, the way uh, I react. And the first one is to live by the sure truth of God's word. Now, I'm sure many have waxed eloquently on this truth, but... Really, I want you to stop and pause, and, and God himself wants you to stop and pause, to live by the sure truth of God's word. Notice he says in verse 9 and the first portion, he says, write. Later on, he says, these are true words of God. The word there for write, this is John, the apostle, and the angel is telling him, you need to write this down. You need to document this. You need to write it for the benefit of the churches and others. He uses the word grapho, which where we get the word autograph, of course, which means to write, to inscripturate, to record, to compose. It's in the second person imperative. All that means is that John wrote as a given command by the angel of God, ultimately from the command of God. And later on in the verse, he says, these are the true words of God. Aletheinos means the true, the genuine, the dependable, the correct, the real thing. In other words, reality. He's saying you can rely, you can depend, you can bank on these words. So in summation, it's as if the angel was saying, it is the angel saying, write, John, I want you to write on the reality of heaven. So you don't forget. And I think we have to pause there as Christians. I don't, think, I don't think we think about the reality of heaven enough. I think maybe if we go to a funeral, we might think about it for maybe two weeks, three weeks maybe. And yet John tells us by the Holy Spirit to remember heaven. And what kind of a people we ought to be as we think about heaven. He says, write on the reality of heaven so you don't forget. Believe in the reality of heaven so you don't despair. 
Christians are to live by truth. Brothers and sisters, we are to live by truth. Truth should dictate how we are to think, behave, and respond. Truth is given in scripture. But you know, a lot of times, brothers and sisters, a lot of times there's doubt and discouragement. I would say in my life, doubt and discouragement, and it can come in different forms. Rather than living by truth, living by what John has said, and in particular, he's talking about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Rather than thinking about heaven, thinking about the truth of God, thinking about what Christ has done, very often as Christians, we might be tempted to live by emotions rather than by truth. You might be thinking and saying and being your own worst counselor. By the way, Don't counsel yourself. Can I just help you with that? You are your own worst counselor. The word of God, God by his word can counsel you. He is more than sufficient. In living by your emotions, sometimes we can get to the point where we we say, I do not feel like there's a happy future for me. You, You ever... I don't know what you're going through, brothers and sisters. But sometimes these emotions, these inner thoughts, I don't think there's a happy ending for me. So you kind of just kind of mosey on life and just do the motions. Perhaps you even go to church and maybe go to school, go to work. But you think, this is it for me. I don't think there's going to be any happiness. Or maybe you've come in here and I promise I'm not following you around with your lives. This is, I'm just saying scenarios. I've made such a mess of my life. Can there be joy for me though I don't deserve it? Maybe, maybe you think of that. Maybe you don't know the Lord and you're thinking I've made a mess of my life. Or maybe you do know the Lord And you still say, yes, but, yes, but. I know Christ has saved me. Yes, but I can't, I can't, I can't get over certain things. Or maybe you're in so much of a trial, you keep thinking, will it ever end? Brothers and sisters, these emotions, they're real. They can be debilitating. They can be paralyzing. Or sometimes, I know what gets me, I don't know about you, but living by current events. If I'm not thinking about the word of God, if I'm not thinking about what's true, if I'm not looking at the things of scripture about who Christ is, and I watch the news, and I think I ought to watch the news as a pastor. I got to know how to apply the word of God in our context and in our society. But, you know, I tell you, when I see a video of 14-year-old old girls beating on an elderly bus driver in Escondido, and then the bus driver shoving the girls outside of San Pasqual High, or when I see widespread looting videos of cities where there's no more, the, the, the restraint of man has just been lifted and they're just in sin, unrestrained. Or when I see evidence after evidence after evidence of political corruption. Or when I see a wife in Carlsbad arrested and indicted for trying to hire a hitman to kill her husband. 
When a professing believer in the church continues in sin without repentance, destroying relationships in the church, in his family, in his marriage, this sometimes overwhelms me. It overwhelms me. And I could be discouraged. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Or sometimes just living in fallenness. Living in fallenness that not even the acts of sin, but under the curse of sin. You know, we're under the curse of sin. Because there is a sin nature, there is death. So when I drive home on Douglas Drive and I see a shrine or a memorial to a man who was riding his e-bike to work since his kids took the cars and he was hit and killed by a 20-year-old woman driving under the influence. And I drive by it every day. I see it. He was a father of four. I'm a father of four. To be quite candid with you, this can be quite overwhelming, doesn't it? No? Yes? It could be overwhelming. So the angel tells John to write. To write so the churches would not be discouraged. In fact, let me take you to John's thesis in the beginning in Revelation chapter 1. In the first portion. I love the way John writes. I love it because he gives us his thesis. The gospel of John. He tells us that he writes so that you may believe. And believing you will have eternal life. And so what is the purpose of the book of Revelation? Is it to write? Is it to scare people about Jesus' coming? No. Is it to beat people over the head and tell them they're in sin. And not give them any offering of who Christ is? No. Is it to write? Cheap rate movies and uh, that people won't watch? No, that's not why Revelation was written. Notice the whole point of the book of Revelation is in chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Verse 3, this is the reason why John wrote the book of Revelation. Blessed is he who reads and those who hears the words of the, test of the prophecy and heed the, words, heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. In other words, John says, blessed is he who reads. Blessed, the word for blessed is makarios, happy, joyful. Blessed is the one who reads it and heeds it. So in some semblance here, some way, perhaps maybe we've been reading Revelation wrong. The, this book was given to bring you joy, to bring you happiness. To have you point towards the end. The culmination of all things. And back in uh, Revelation chapter 19. Christian. Just turn there. I want to encourage you. When you are discouraged. Don't live by emotions. Or by what's happening around you. Or by fallenness. John writes. Right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Live by truth. Your whole occupation as a believer should be, what does God say in his word? And how should I live according to what he says? Not how I feel. Not what's going on in this world. Although as awful as it is, what does God say? That's the only way I'm going to stay sane in this world. What does he say? In this particular text, the truth that should be ruminating in your head and in your heart is there is coming a marriage supper where all of this will be ended and we will be with the Savior forever. That's the thought. So you don't get consumed. Oh, brothers and sisters, the churches that John was writing to had much more problems than us. You consider what John was, where he was at. He's not a person who didn't have any problems. All his friends were killed. He was exiled to an island. The churches are waning. There's false teachers coming. People are discouraged. The church in Laodicea is losing their first love. He is sitting there in an island and he is telling them, don't be discouraged, saints. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like there's a happy ending to this. All of us were killed. Now, brothers and sisters, sometimes we live like that. It doesn't look. Are you sure, Angelo? Are you sure that there's a happy ending to this? That there will be joy and bliss and delight Forever and ever in Jesus Christ. John says, Right. These words are true. So, brothers and sisters, as we think about this and as you take the cup and eat the bread, let it remind you that the, of the reality of what is coming. It is all coming to pass. Your battle with sin will one day be done. Amen? Your missing of your loved ones who have departed will be done. The Savior whom you serve, sometimes unfaithfully, sometimes mixed with sin, You will now see him as he is. You will be like him. We're going to be at his wedding table. And you know what? I can't think of any more. I can't think of any meal that I love to be in. I tell you that. I love to be out with my wife. We go for dates. We leave the kids as fast as we can. Right? Because they could cook. So we're done. Right? We go. But... Man, you know, some of the public dinners that I really love is being at a wedding feast. I, I mean, I was bummed. I didn't get a chance to go. Uh, Anastasia got to go and fly back and fly up. She had points. I didn't have points. So I'm like, I don't have points. I can't go. So she went to uh, uh, a wedding just, just before this uh, weekend. And I was bummed because I know the joy of sitting there. 
being with your brothers and sisters and watching what God has done in bringing people together. So live by the sure truth of God's word. Brothers and sisters, there's coming an end. We will be at his wedding feast. We will be there forever. There will be no sin. Don't let the things of this world discourage you. Secondly, long for unhindered fellowship with God's son. Long for unhindered fellowship with God's son. So live by the sure truth of God's word. I know that that wedding is coming. Long for unhindered fellowship with God's son. This is what heaven is. I'm sorry. A lot of unbelievers will say things and try to redefine what heaven is. Heaven is like a golf course that you don't have to pay entrance fees. I'm sorry, that's not heaven. Heaven is where I get to do whatever I want. Heaven is, and all these, heaven is a wave that never ends. You know, we're in Oceanside. Some folks might think that. No, brothers and sisters, heaven is unhindered fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been said we have been saved by the penalty of sin. We are saved now in this present life from the power of sin And in the future, brothers and sisters, hallelujah, we are saved from the presence of sin. He says, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice the preparation of its participants. I think in uh, verse 9, it's it's quite interesting. He said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, Typically, especially in our, in our world of bridezillas and uh, say yes to the dress and kind of those kind of shows and everything like that. We often say, oh, it's the bride's day. It's the bride's day. Notice here, the writer of scripture says, it's the lamb's day. It is the lamb who made it all possible. It is the marriage supper of the lamb. Now, let's take a look at... Uh, the Lamb. Look at verse 9, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made him, made herself ready. Why did John use the word Lamb? It's interesting. Why did the angel tell him to use the word Lamb? Why is it in Scripture for us as the Lamb. No doubt John the Apostle can remember the early days when John the Baptist, if you recall, first declared the person and the mission of Christ. In the Gospel of John, also written by the Apostle John, the same author, he records when John the Baptist saw Christ coming, he says, behold, what does he call him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus proudly wears that name the lamb the lamb why the lamb a couple reasons the lamb speaks of his innocence and his willingness you recall how Paul himself using a typology calls Jesus our Passover lamb He is the unblemished lamb. And for us, he is the one who is exposed to all temptations and yet without 
sin. He is the God-man, second person of the Trinity, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. He's the lamb that did not fight back. But I think the lamb not only speaks about his innocence and his willingness, but also the violence. The violence of his death. And is it inappropriate as we take communion, this lamb whose marriage we are celebrating, we also remember his mission that he did. Look at Revelation chapter 5. It's just a couple chapters behind. In Revelation chapter 5, I think sometimes we think of heaven as, as being completely sanitized. In heaven there is no sin, but there is one, a few things that are left that way for us to see. And he says here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, notice, or here's John in verse 3, no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. He's talking about the deed of the earth. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book and to look. And one of the elders said, stop weeping. Look at verse 6 and look at this description. This is how John saw Christ in heaven and notice carefully at the verbiage okay he says and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing clearly this is Christ as if slain He uses the word slain, which is a word that's used to trap animals. And here, Christ, the violence of his death, the price he paid for you and me, brothers and sisters, is a tangible, visible manifestation on his body. This lamb, as if slain, speaks of our ability in heaven to actually see the scars that he bore for us. We have a little wimpy way of saying it, you know, us tough guys, especially when we wrestle, even Karis, because she got surgery. Ooh, my scars look cool. My scars look cool. And we understand that. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, here's, here's the truth of it. This lamb will forever wear the scars that it cost him to pay for you. And he proudly wears it. It's interesting, if you go back to Revelation chapter 19, you would think, you would think, look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, of 19 and verse 11. 19 and verse 11. You would think something else, okay? I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness his, 
he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and in his head are many diadems. Notice verse 13. He is clothed with robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Notice in verse 15, he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. The imagery there is he, just as grapes, when you step on grapes to make wine, he says his enemies will be treaded underneath his feet, such that as he steps, his enemy's blood sprays upon his own raiments. Now, if I were writing the scriptures, and I'm glad I didn't, I would say, the warrior is getting married today. Wouldn't you? The tough guy is getting married today. The one who defeats all his enemies, he's getting married today. But no, the Spirit of God wants to remind you it is the Lamb. He is a warrior to his enemies, he is a Lamb to his people forever what is terrible to his enemies who refuse to bow the knee he is a joy and a delight to all who bow the knee that is the lamb now you notice it's not said in verse 9 the marriage supper of the lamb we know there has to be a bride correct So in verse 7, if we look up, we know in the context, of course, there's a bride. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, this imagery is all over Scripture of God marrying his people Israel, of Jesus marrying the bride, the church. And I have to take you to the greatest passage about this, about the bride and about this relationship of Christ. And uh, turn with me. Keep your finger here. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 22 to 27. And you notice I will read in Ephesians 5, 22 to 27. And watch the imagery Watch the parallels. And this is what Christ proudly wears, proudly wants to be in there, desires it. Ephesians 5, 22 to 27 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. As, here it is, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. You notice that the basis of of a relationship of a wife to a husband is the basis of the relationship of Christ and his wife, the church. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? How are we to love our wives? How are we to love our wives? Oh, husbands, this is always convicting to hear, huh? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that 
she would be holy and blameless. Now here, the picture is just as Christ sacrifices himself for the body and the body honors and submits to Christ, so shall marriage be. In fact, it's not that the husband and wife, a human husband and wife, should image forth Christ and the church. Rather, Christ and the church images forth itself as he works in the hearts of men and women in marriage. In other words, what is the type and the archetype? The archetype is Christ and the body. That is the stamp. That is the reality. And we are pictures of that. Notice he says here, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Regeneration. That's clearly regeneration, what Brother Manny was talking about, right? That he might present to himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now we go back to Revelation chapter 19 and we take a look and we see and we try and figure this out. What does this look like? He says in verse 9, of course, uh, verse 7, the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 8 really sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. And that is a picture of the justification that is perfect in Christ. That Jesus' person and his work and all that he did in his life and his death, his bloody death, his burial and his resurrection and his ascension, all of that, all of that was done for his church and he has clothed her in the perfect righteousness of himself. But what's astonishing to me is he says, for the fine linen in the righteous acts of the saints. So here's the astonishing fact. First, the Lord clothes us with righteousness positionally as a church. Positionally, before the standing, before God the Father, positionally, we have a perfect standing. That is called justification. That God the Father would look upon his church and sees the righteousness and the sacrifice of Christ and would count us righteous as if we were Christ. Us being connected to him by faith. But after that, even that, as God has called us to become holy and blameless before him, and as God has called us, even in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, to have works of righteousness, the Bible says that we prepare ourselves, we prepare ourselves to meet this Savior by our good works. And by the way, the word there for saints is not folks who have died in the past and have done miracles after they have died. The word there for saints are simply those called out ones, separated ones, Christians. In fact, the definition of saints is very, very easy. You can see it from Romans to all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints. It's simply Christians, believers, those who trust in Christ and have repented of their sins. And so the bride and the groom come together and I just think it's just beautiful. I, I mean, I've said this in the past. I love seeing the bride when she comes in. I love being at weddings. I love it. And, and you know, it's not because I'm just like a, you know, a hopeless romantic or something like that. 
I actually love it because of the theology and the beauty that God gave us as a picture. It means more to me now. It means so much when there's a church and there's a people who love. And of course there's forgiveness for maybe a couple who didn't follow the ways of Christ. And then God brought them together and God, God did a work anyways. But man, is it beautiful when we are in a church and there's brothers and sisters who have prayed for these young people. And then you see the, the groom waiting for his bride. You see him there waiting. And then the door opens. It's not magic to us. The door just opens and we see this beautiful bride having been prepared since probably 5 a.m. Putting on her makeup and her hair and the dress is beautiful. And as she walks, I like to look at the guy. I love to look at the guy. Why do I like to look at the guy? Because you know what happens? The guy starts tearing. And he sees his wife. And it's such a beautiful moment. I just, I just like to be in that moment. So does that make me romantic? Maybe. But he is just astonished. And you know what's amazing thing is that's how Christ looks at his church. This, many theologians say that this age, this church age, is the betrothal time. And this is where all history is going. Brothers and sisters, you may think, oh man, I am just the, I'm not, I am a lousy Christian. I could be more faithful, I could be more active. Let me tell you, God is having his bride be ready. And he's given her address and the church by God's grace we impelled by what Christ has done are doing good works to prepare ourselves for that day and as Christ sees his bride as, as a human groom looks at his bride we too Christ will look at us Christ will look at us is that an amazing thought that's my bride who I died for that's the one I paid for with my blood. That's the one I love. And then it would be almost as if the universe would say, Are you sure? Are you sure? That's the one I love. Oh, Christian, there is no love like this. You understand? There is no love like this. There is no drama like this. There is no comfort like this. No security like this. That the one who died for you sits there and he looks at you with beauty and love and desire. He longs to be with his people. Didn't he say, I go to prepare a place so that you may be where I am. Doesn't he say that? When you take this cup and you take this bread, you remember that there is coming a day when it will be done. I tell you, I couldn't wait. When I was engaged, I couldn't wait. We were supposed to get married in the summer. I said, how about spring break? How about spring break? And I said, hey, well, you know, let's have a little bit of time, you know. I couldn't wait. Because I wanted to be with her. Oh, that's just a little picture. 
of the desire and the longing that Christ has for his church. Now, notice the solemnity of the covenant. It is, it is a marriage supper. It is the deepest of vows, the deepest of intimacy. It is, as we said, the, the long betrothal is probably the church age. But this marriage feast is the culmination of that. And just as this covenant is supposed to be sacred with his people. He loves and he longs to have it actuated and finished. Now I think, I think we, some folks might say, well. Why doesn't he love everyone like that? Oh, brothers and sisters, he loves his church differently. Now folks, I understand I understand that God loves the world. Yes, he does. And in his general love, he loves the world and he extends the gospel call. Absolutely. But he loves his bride in a special way. And it's just like we always say this to our kids. It's just like, would you like your dad to love all the sisters in church the way he loves mom? Absolutely not. Why? Because there's a special relationship with the bride. And so here Jesus says, this is my special covenant with his people. And just as you were before the foundation of the world elected, just as Christ has died on the cross, just as Christ has ensured a place for you, just as Christ in its culmination wants to be with you, brothers and sisters, there is no love that can break this. For from eternity past to eternity future, it is locked tight his love there is that's why we keep saying there is no love like this there is no love like this notice the delight of the celebration in verse 7 we says it's the marriage supper so uh, i guess the best way to think of it is this is the reception time right this is the reception time when there's a lot of food i love it right a lot of food but here's, here's the general atmosphere. In verse 7 it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. The word for rejoice means to be glad, to take pleasure, to delight. The word glad means to be extremely joyful, to be jubilant. And give glory is just another word to praise. To praise. Look at the dress. Look at that beautiful couple. Look at the greatest of marriages. And we are sitting there with joy and happiness for what God has done. I've, I've said it in the past. You know, I, It's just fun to be in a wedding where folks honor Christ and they love Jesus. And it's also fun to be around my brothers and sisters. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's not just that there is a wedding feast. But notice the next section. Live by the sure truth of God's word. Long for unhindered fellowship with God's son. We will see him with his scars. And he has given you special invitation. And lastly, love the gift of salvation through God's work. And we've talked about it. But look, he says here, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage 
supper of the Lamb. Blessed. Makarios. He says it again. Happy. Joyful. Rejoicing of verse 7. Being glad of verse 7. Giving glory of verse 7. All of that. Everyone. He says... Of those who are invited. This is the one who has received the invitation and has accepted the invitation. These are the ones who have heard the gospel and has received it. The gospel by invitation is that God has created all of us to image forth his glory. To make much of God by our words, deeds, and actions. And sin has removed us. Not so much, not so much the very activity of sin the instances of sin but even our sin nature the the bible speaks more of that of our sin nature that separates us from a true relationship with god for in heaven god only accepts perfection and if the story ended there we would be without hope and that is why before you came to christ you didn't want to know about him You didn't want to hear about him. You didn't want that Jesus of Nazareth over you. And yet Jesus came, second person of the Trinity, to live, to die, to be buried and ascended for you. And the Bible says, as we learned this morning, that if you have faith and repentance, if you trust in Christ and you turn away from sin and this world, And trust in him and him alone. You will be saved. Now. You got to take that invitation brothers. Brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters. If you are here and you've trusted in Christ. And repented of your sin. You've taken that invitation. And you have that ticket of Christ. But I can keep telling you and keep telling you, maybe you're here, maybe you're thinking, maybe, maybe mom and dad has brought you and you know the gospel, you know the facts of the gospel. You don't know Christ, you're not a Christian until you believe and trust yourself. You cannot ride on the faith of your dad and mom. You cannot ride on the faith of your husband or your wife. It has to be yours. You have to take that invitation. And he says, notice, blessed are those who are invited. What is that blessing? What is that happiness? What is that joy? Sure, is it that I get to sit across mom and dad who have died in the, in the faith? I get to sit across grandma and grandpa who have died in the faith? And us, all of us be together, much like a wedding, wedding feast, together, eating, supping, fellowshipping, sharing a meal. Is it that? Is it that joy? And I would say, yes, that's part of it. You will be reunited, brothers and sisters, of those who have left before you, the ones who have said goodbye. Is it that there is no more sin? Yes, the Bible says in Revelation later on, outside are those who refuse to bow the knee to the Lamb. Is it that? Yes, there is joy. But let me tell you the blessedness of The church, the happiness of the church, the joy of the church is you get to see the Savior who bled and died for you with his scars still in his side and in his hands and in his feet. And that is for you forever and ever. And you get to serve him without sin forever and ever and ever. There is the joy, brothers and sisters. No longer. 
kicking yourself because you did such stupid things, sinful things. There is forgiveness today, amen. But man, I can't wait till I'm there. I got a ticket. Do you? Do you? Do you have a ticket? Only, the, only those who are invited are blessed. Why, why are you stopping? Think about that. Why does your heart rage against the Savior who only desires to forgive you and love you? Think about it. Because it's true. The gospel is true. And your sin rages against him. Oh, let me encourage you. Free yourself. Confess your sin. Trust in him. Give him all the glory and he will save you. He could save you in your bedroom. He could save you in your kitchen. You don't need me. I'm not a priest. Take this invitation. Take it. Take it. And come. So as we take the bread and drink the wine this morning, I want you to think. God wants you to think of this wedding feast. And think about this. It's not just that he speaks about our forgiveness in a forensic legal manner. But he wants to sup with you. And enjoy a meal. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your kindness and your love that you invite us. This is your supper. It causes us to want for that day when sin will be no more. Help us, Lord, to seek your face and to live by truth. We pray, Father, would you Help us to sing. Help us to praise. Thank you for your word. It's so clear. Help us to heed the words of John. These are the true words of God. Help us to sing and celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.